0: section twenty seven of a far country by winston churchill this librivox recording is in the public domain book three chapter twenty three i had bought a small automobile which i ran myself and it was my custom to arrive at the farm every evening about five o'clock but as i look back upon those days they seem to have lost succession to be fused together as it were Into one indeterminable period by the intense pressure of emotion, unsatisfied emotion, and the state of physical and mental disorganization set up by it is, in the retrospect, not a little terrifying. The world grew more and more distorted, its affairs were neglected, things upon which I had set high values became as nothing and even if i could summon back something of the sequence of our intercourse it would be a mere repetition growing on my part more irrational and insistent of what i have already related there were long troubled and futile silences when we sat together on the porch or in the woods and fields when i wondered whether it were weakness or strength that caused nancy to hold out against my importunities the fears she professed of retribution the benumbing effects of the conventional years or the deep-rooted remnants of a calvinism which as she proclaimed, had lost definite expression, to persist as an intuition. I recall something she said when she turned to me after one of these silences. Do you know how I feel sometimes? As though you and I had wandered together into a strange country and lost our way. We have lost our way, Hugh. It's all so clandestine, so feverish, so unnatural, so unrelated to life this existence we're leading i believe it would be better if it were a mere case of physical passion i can't help it she went on when i had exclaimed against this we are too-too complicated you are too complicated it's because we want the morning stars don't you see she wound her fingers tightly around mine we not only want this but all of life besides you wouldn't be satisfied with anything less oh i know it that's your temperament you were made that way and i shouldn't be satisfied if you weren't the time would come when you would blame me i don't mean vulgarly and i couldn't stand that if you weren't that way if that weren't your nature i mean i should have given way long ago i made some sort of desperate protest no if I didn't know you so well, I believe I should have given in long ago. I'm not thinking of you alone, but of myself, too. I'm afraid I shouldn't be happy, that I should begin to think. And then I couldn't stop. The plain truth, as I've told you over and over again, is that I'm not big enough. She continued, smiling at me, a smile on which I could not bear to look. I was wrong not to have gone away i heard her say i will go away i was at the time too profoundly discouraged to answer one evening after an exhausting talk we sat inert on the grass hummock beside the stream heavy clouds had gathered in the sky the light had deepened to amethyst the valley was still swooning with expectancy louder and louder the thunder rolled from behind the distant hills and presently a veil descended to hide them from our view great drops began to fall unheeded we must go in said nancy at length i followed her across the field and through the orchard from the porch we stood gazing out at the whitening rain that blotted all save the nearer landscape and the smell of wet midsummer grasses will always be associated with the poignancy of that moment at dinner between the intervals of silence our talk was of trivial things we made a mere pretence of eating and i remember having my attention arrested by the sight of a strange pitying expression on the face of mrs Olson, who waited on us before that the woman had been to me a mere ministering automaton but she must have had ideas and opinions this transported swedish peasant presently having cleared the table she retired the twilight deepened to dusk to darkness the storm having spent the intensity of its passion in those first moments of heavy downpour and wind had relaxed to a gentle rain that pattered on the roof and from the stream came recurringly the dirge of the frogs all i could see of nancy was the dim outline of her head and shoulders she seemed fantastically to be escaping me to be fading to be going in sudden desperation i dropped on my knees beside her and i felt her hands straying with a light yet agonized touch over my head do you think i haven't suffered too that i don't suffer i heard her ask some betraying note for which i had hitherto waited in vain must have pierced to my consciousness yet the quiver of joy and the swift convulsive movement that followed it seemed one her strong lithe body was straining in my arms her lips returning my kisses clinging to her hands i strove to summon my faculties of realization and i began to speak in broken enduring sentences it's stronger than we are stronger than anything else in the world she said but you're not sorry i asked i don't want to think i don't care she replied i only know that i love you i wonder if you will ever know how much the moments lengthened into hours and she gently reminded me that it was late the lights in the little farmhouses nearby had long been extinguished I pleaded to linger. I wanted her, more of her, all of her, with a fierce desire that drowned rational thought, and I feared that something might still come between us and cheat me of her. No, no, she cried with fear in her voice. We shall have to think it out very carefully. What we must do, we can't afford to make any mistakes. We'll talk it all over tomorrow i said with a last reluctant embrace i finally left her walked blindly to where the motor car was standing and started the engine i looked back outlined in the light of the doorway i saw her figure in what seemed an attitude of supplication i drove cityward through the rain mechanically taking the familiar turns in the road barely missing a man in a buggy at a four corners he shouted after me but the world to which he belonged didn't exist i lived again those moments that had followed nancy's surrender seeking to recall and fix in my mind every word that had escaped from her lips the trivial things that to lovers are so fraught with meaning i lived it all over again as i say but the reflection of it, though intensely emotional, differed from the reality, in that now I was somewhat able to regard the thing, to regard myself, objectively, to define certain feelings that had flitted in filmy fashion through my consciousness, delicate shadows I recognized at the time as related to sadness." when she had so amazingly yielded, the thought for which my mind had been vaguely groping was that the woman who lay there in my arms, obscured by the darkness, was not Nancy at all. It was as if this one precious woman I had so desperately pursued had, in the capture, lost her identity, had mysteriously become just woman in all her significance, yes, and helplessness, the particular had merged, inevitably I might have known, into the general, the temporary had become the lasting, with a chain of consequences vaguely implied that even in my joy gave me pause. For the first time in my life I had a glimpse of what marriage might mean— marriage in a greater sense than i had ever conceived it a sort of cosmic sense implying obligations transcending promises and contracts calling for greatness of soul of a kind i had not hitherto imagined was there in me a grain of doubt of my ability to respond to such a high call I began to perceive that such a union as we contemplated involved more obligations than one not opposed to traditional views of morality. I fortified myself, however, if indeed I really needed fortification, in a mood prevailing, triumphant, and exalted, with the thought that this love was different, the real thing, the love of maturity steeped in the ideals of youth, here was a love for which i must be prepared to renounce other things on which i set a high value prepared in case the world for some reason should not look upon us with kindliness it was curious that such reflections as these should have been delayed until after the achievement of my absorbing desire more curious that they should have followed so closely on the heels of it the affair had shifted suddenly from a basis of adventure of uncertainty to one of fact of commitment i am exaggerating my concern in order to define it i was able to persuade myself without much difficulty that these little cloudy currents in the stream of my joy were due to a natural reaction from the tremendous strain of the past weeks mere morbid fancies when at length i reached my room at the club i sat looking out at the rain falling on the shining pavements under the arc lights though waves of heat caused by some sudden recollection or impatient longing still ran through my body a saner joy of anticipation was succeeding emotional tumult and i reflected that nancy had been right in insisting that we walk circumspectly in spite of passion after all i had outwitted circumstance i had gained the prize i could afford to wait a little we should talk it over to-morrow no to-day the luminous face of the city hall clock reminded me that midnight was long past I awoke with the consciousness of a new joy suddenly to identify it with nancy she was mine i kept repeating it as i dressed summoning her not as she had lain in my arms in the darkness though the intoxicating sweetness of that pervaded me but as she had been before the completeness of her surrender dainty surrounded by things expressing an elusive uniquely feminine personality i could afford to smile at the weather at the obsidian sky at the rain still falling persistently and yet as i ate my breakfast i felt a certain impatience to verify what i knew was a certainty and hurried to the telephone booth i resented the instrument its possibilities of betrayal her voice sounded so matter-of-fact as she bade me good-morning and deplored the rain i'll be out as soon as i can get away i said i have a meeting at three but it should be over at four and then i added irresistibly nancy you're not sorry you-you still- yes don't be foolish i heard her reply and this time the telephone did not completely disguise the note for which i strained i said something more but the circuit was closed i shall not attempt to recount the details of our intercourse during the week that followed there were moments of stress and strain when it seemed to me that we could not wait moments that strengthened nancy's resolution to leave immediately for the east there were other calmer periods when the wisdom of her going appealed to me since our ultimate union would be hastened thereby we overcame by degrees the distastefulness of the discussion of ways and means we spent an unforgettable sunday among the distant high hills beside a little lake of our own discovery its glinting waters sapphire and cryoprase a grassy wood road at the inviting entrance to which we left the automobile led down through an undergrowth of laurel to a pebbly shore and there we lunched there we lingered through the long summer afternoon nancy with her back against a tree i with my head in her lap gazing up at filmy clouds drifting imperceptibly across the sky listening to the droning notes of the bees Notes that sometimes rose in a sharp crescendo and again were suddenly hushed. The smell of the wood mould mingled with the fainter scents of wild flowers. She had brought along a volume by a modern poet. The verses, as Nancy read them, moved me. They were filled with the new faith to which my being responded the faith of the forthfarer, not the faith of the anchor, but of the sail. I repeated some of the lines as indications of a creed to which i had long been trying to convert her though lacking the expression she had let the book fall on the grass i remember how she smiled down at me with the wisdom of the ages in her eyes seeking my hand with a gesture that was almost maternal you and the poets she said you never grow up. I suppose that's the reason why we love you, and these wonderful visions of freedom you have. Anyway, it's nice to dream, to recreate the world as one would like to have it. But that's what you and I are doing, I insisted. We think we're doing it. Or rather you think so, she replied. And sometimes I admit that you almost persuade me to think so, never quite. What disturbs me, she continued, is to find you and the poets founding your new freedom on new justifications, discarding the old law, only to make a new one, as though we could ever get away from necessities, escape from disagreeable things, except in dreams, and then the delusion of believing that we are masters of our own destiny. She paused and pressed my fingers there you go back to predestination i exclaimed i don't go back to anything or forward to anything she exclaimed women are elemental but i don't expect you to understand it laws and codes are foreign to us philosophies and dreams may dazzle us for the moment but what we feel underneath and what we yield to are the primal forces the great necessities when we refuse joys it's because we know these forces by a sort of instinct when we're overcome it's with a full knowledge that there's a price you've talked a great deal hugh about carving out our future i listened to you but i resisted you it wasn't the morality that was taught me as a child that made me resist it was something deeper than that more fundamental something i feel but can't yet perceive and yet shall perceive some day it isn't that i'm clinging to the hard and fast rules because i fail to see any others It isn't that I believe that all people should stick together, whether they are happily married or not. But I must say it even now. I have a feeling I can't define, that divorce isn't for us. I'm not talking about right and wrong in the ordinary sense. It's just what I feel. I've ceased to think. Nancy, I reproached her. I can't help it. I don't want to be morbid do you remember my asking you about god the first day this began and whether you had a god well that's the trouble with us all today. we haven't any god we're wanderers drifters and now it's just life that's got hold of us my dear and swept us away together that's our justification if we needed one it's been too strong for us she leaned back against the tree and closed her eyes we were like chips in the torrent of it hugh it was not until the shadow of the forest had crept far across the lake and the darkening waters were still that we rose reluctantly to put the dishes in the tea-basket and start on our homeward journey the tawny fires of the sunset were dying down behind us the mist stealing ghost-like into the valleys below in the sky a little moon curled like a freshly cut silver shaving that presently turned to gold the white star above it to fire when the valleys widened we came to silent decorous little towns and villages where yellow-lit windows gleaming through the trees suggested refuge and peace while we were wanderers in the night it was nancy's mood and now in the evening's chill it recurred to me poignantly in one of these villages we passed a church its doors flung open the congregation was singing a familiar hymn i slowed down the car i felt her shoulder pressing against my own and reached out my hand and found hers are you warm enough i asked we spoke but little on that drive. We had learned the futility of words to express the greater joys and sorrows, the love that is compounded of these. It was late when we turned in between the white dates and made our way up the little driveway to the farmhouse. I bade her goodnight on the steps of the porch. "'You do love me, don't you?' she whispered, clinging to me with a sudden, straining passion. "'You will love me always,' no matter what happens. Why, of course, Nancy, I answered. I want to hear you say it. I love you. I shall love you always. I repeated it fervently. No matter what happens. No matter what happens. As if I could help it, Nancy. Why are you so sad tonight? Oh, Hugh, it makes me sad. I can't tell why. It is so great. It is so terrible. And yet, so sweet and beautiful she took my face in her hands and pressed a kiss against my forehead the next day was dark at two o'clock in the afternoon the electric light was still burning over my desk when the telephone rang and i heard nancy's voice is that you hugh yes i have to go east this afternoon why i asked her agitation had communicated itself to me I thought you weren't going until Thursday. What's the matter? I've just had a telegram, she said. Ham's been hurt. I don't know how badly. He was thrown from a polo pony this morning at Narragansett. In practice, and they're taking him to Boston to a private hospital. The telegram's from Johnny Shepherd. I'll be at the house in town at four filled with forebodings i tried in vain to suppress i dropped the work i was doing and got up and paced the room pausing now and again to gaze out of the window at the wet roofs and the grey skies i was aghast at the idea of her going to ham now even though he were hurt badly hurt and yet i tried to think it was natural that it was fine of her to respond to such a call and she couldn't very well refuse his summons but it was not the news of her husband's accident that inspired the greater fear which was quelled and soothed only to rise again when i recalled the note i had heard in her voice a note eloquent of tragedy of tragedy she had foreseen at length unable to remain where i was any longer i descended to the street and walked uptown in the rain The at home was closed, the blinds of its many windows drawn, but Nancy was watching for me and opened the door. So used had I grown to seeing her in the simple linen dresses she had worn in the country, a costume associated with exclusive possession, that the sight of her travelling suit and hat renewed in me an agony of apprehension. The unforeseen event seemed to have transformed her once more. Her veil was drawn up. Her face was pale. In her eyes were traces of tears. You're going? I asked as I took her hands. Hugh, I have to go. She led me through the dark, shrouded drawing-room, into the little salon where the windows were open on the silent city garden. I took her in my arms. She did not resist, as I half expected, but clung to me with what seemed desperation. I have to go, dear. You won't make it too hard for me. It's only ordinary decency and there's no one else to go to him she drew me to the sofa her eyes beseeching me listen dear i want you to see it as i see it i know that you will that you do i should never be able to forgive myself if i stayed away now I, neither of us could ever be happy about it you do see don't you she implored yes i admitted agitatedly Her grasp on my hand tightened. I knew you would, but it makes me happier to hear you say it. We sat for a moment in helpless silence, gazing at one another. Slowly, her eyes had filled. Have you heard anything more? I managed to ask. She drew a telegram from her bag as though the movement were a relief this is from the doctor in boston his name is magruder they have got him there it seems a horse kicked him in the head after he fell he had just recovered consciousness i took the telegram the words seemed meaningless all save those of the last sentence the situation is serious but by no means hopeless nancy had not spoken of that the ignorant cruelty of its convention the man must have known what hambleton durrett was nancy read my thoughts and took the paper from my hand hugh dear if it's hard for you try to understand that it's terrible for me to think that he has any claim at all i realize now as i never did before how wicked it was in me to marry him i hate him i can't bear the thought of going near him she fell into wild weeping i tried to comfort her who could not comfort myself i don't remember my inadequate words we were overwhelmed obliterated by the sense of calamity it was she who checked herself at last by an effort that was almost hysterical i mustn't yield to it she said it's time to leave and the train goes at six no you mustn't come to the station hugh i don't think i could stand it i'll send you a telegram she rose you must go now you must you'll come back to me i demanded thickly as i held her hugh i am yours now and always how can you doubt it at last i released her when she had begged me again and i found myself a little later walking past the familiar empty houses of those streets The front pages of the evening newspapers announced the accident to Hambleton Durrett, and added that Mrs. Durrett, who had been lingering in the city, had gone to her husband's bedside. The morning papers contained more of biography and ancestry, but had little to add to the bulletin, and there was no lack of speculation at the club and elsewhere as to Ham's ability to rally from such a shock i could not bear to listen to these comments they were violently distasteful to me the unforeseen accident and nancy's sudden departure had thrown my life completely out of gear i could not attend to business I dared not go away, lest the news from Nancy be delayed. I spent the hours in an exhausting mental state that alternated between hope and fear, a state of unmitigated, intense desire, of balked realization, sometimes heightening into that sheer terror I had felt when I had detected over the telephone that note in her voice that seemed of despair had she a presentiment all along that something would occur to separate us? As I went back over the hours we had passed together since she had acknowledged her love, in spite of myself the conviction grew on me that she had never believed in the reality of our future. Indeed, she had expressed her disbelief in words. Had she been looking all along for a sign, a sign of wrath, and would she accept this accident of hams as such retrospection left me trembling and almost sick it was not until the second morning after her departure that i received a telegram giving the name of her boston hotel and saying that there was to be a consultation that day and as soon as it had taken place she would write such consolation as i could gather from it was derived from four words at the end she missed me dreadfully some tremor of pity for her entered into my consciousness without mitigating greatly the wildness of my resentment of my forebodings i could bear no longer the city the club the office the daily contact with my associates and clients six hours distant near Rossiter, was a small resort in the mountains of which i had heard i telegraphed nancy to address me there notified the office packed my bag and waited impatiently for midday when i boarded the train at seven i reached a little station where a stage was waiting to take me to calendar's mill it was not until morning that i beheld my retreat when little wisps of vapour were straying over the surface of the lake and the steep green slopes that rose out of the water on the western side were still in shadow The hotel, a much overgrown and altered farmhouse, stood surrounded by great trees, in an ancient clearing that sloped greatly to the water's edge, where an old-fashioned octagonal summer-house overlooked a landing for rowboats. The resort, indeed, was a survival of simpler times. In spite of the thirty-odd guests, people of very moderate incomes who knew the place and had come here year after year— i was as much alone as if i had been the only sojourner the place was so remote so peaceful in contrast to the city i had left which had become intolerable and at night during hours of wakefulness the music of the waters falling over the dam was soothing i used to walk down there and sit on the stones of the ruined mill or climb to the crests on the far side of the pond to gaze for hours westward where the green billows of the alleghanies lost themselves in the haze i had discovered a new country here when our trials should be over i would bring nancy and i found distraction in choosing sites for a bungalow in my soul hope flowered with little watering uncertain news was good news after two days of an impatience all but intolerable her first letter arrived i learned that the specialist had not been able to make a diagnosis and i began to take heart again at times she said ham was delirious and difficult to manage at other times he sank into a condition of coma and again he seemed to know her and ralph who had come up from southampton where he had been spending the summer one doctor thought that ham's remarkable vitality would pull him through in spite of what his life had been the shock as might have been surmised had affected the brain the letters that followed contained no additional news she did not dwell on the depressing reactions inevitable from the situation in which she found herself one so much worse than mine she expressed a continual longing for me and yet i had trouble to convince myself that they did not lack the note of reassurance for which i strained as i eagerly scanned them of reassurance that she had no intention of permitting her husband's condition to interfere with that ultimate happiness on which it seemed my existence depended i tried to account for the absence of this note by reflecting that the letters were of necessity brief hurriedly scratched off at odd moments and a natural delicacy would prevent her from referring to our future at such time They recorded no change in Ham's condition, save that the periods of coma had ceased. The doctors were silent, awaiting the arrival in this country of a certain New York specialist who was abroad. She spent most of her days at the hospital, returning to the hotel at night exhausted. The people she knew in the various resorts around Boston had been most kind, sending her flowers and calling when in town to inquire at length came the news that the new york doctor was home again and coming to boston in that letter was a sentence which rang like a cry in my ears oh hugh i think these doctors know now what the trouble is i think i know they are only waiting for dr jameson to confirm it It was always an effort for me to control my impatience after the first rattling was heard in the morning of the stage that brought the mail, and I avoided the waiting group in front of the honeycombed partition of boxes beside the office. On the particular morning of which I am now writing, the proprietor himself handed me a letter of ominous thickness, which I took with me down to the borders of the lake, before tearing open the flap in spite of the calmness and restraint of the first lines because of them i felt creeping over me an unnerving sensation i knew for dread hugh the new york doctor has been here it is as i have feared for some weeks but i couldn't tell you until i was sure ham is not exactly insane but he is childish sometimes i think that is even worse I have had a talk with dr jameson who has simply confirmed the opinion which the other physicians have gradually been forming the accident has precipitated a kind of mental degeneration but his health otherwise will not be greatly affected jameson was kind but very frank for which i was grateful he did not hesitate to say that it would have been better if the accident had been fatal ham won't be helpless physically Of course he won't be able to play polo or take much active exercise if he were to be helpless i could feel that i might be of some use at least of more use he knows his friends some of them have been here to see him and he talks quite rationally with them with ralph with me only once in a while he says something silly it seems odd to write that he is not responsible since he never has been his condition is so queer that i am at a loss to describe it the other morning before i arrived from the hotel and when the nurse was downstairs he left the hospital and we found him several blocks along commonwealth avenue seated on a bench without a hat he was annoyed that he had forgotten it and quite sensible otherwise We began by taking him out every morning in an automobile. Today he had a walk with Ralph, and insisted on going into a club here, to which they both belong. Two or three men were there whom they knew, and he talked to them about his fall from the pony and told them just how it happened. At such times only a close observer can tell from his manner that everything is not right ralph who always could manage him prevented his taking anything to drink he depends upon ralph and it will be harder for me when he is not with us his attitude towards me is just about what it always has been i try to amuse him by reading the newspapers and with games we have a chessboard at times he seems grateful and then he will suddenly grow tired and hard to control once or twice i have had to call in dr magruder who owns the hospital It has been terribly hard for me to write all this, but I had to do it, in order that you might understand the situation completely. Hugh, dear, I simply can't leave him. This has been becoming clearer and clearer to me all these weeks, but it breaks my heart to have to write it. I have struggled against it. I have lain awake nights trying to find justification for going to you, but it is stronger than I." i am afraid of it i suppose that's the truth even in those unforgettable days at the farm i was afraid of it although i did not know what it was to be call it what you like say that i am weak i am willing to acknowledge that it is weakness i wish no credit for it it gives me no glow the thought of it makes my heart sick i'm not big enough i suppose that's the real truth i once might have been but i'm not now The years of the life i chose have made a coward of me it's not a question of morals or duty it's simply that i can't take the thing for which my soul craves it's too late if i believed in prayer i'd pray that you might pity and forgive me i really can't expect you to understand what i can't understand myself oh i need pity and i pity you my dear i can only hope that you will not suffer as i shall that you will find relief, a way to work out your life. But I will not change my decision. I cannot change it. Don't come on. Don't attempt to see me now. I can't stand any more than I am standing. I should lose my mind. Here the letter was blotted, and some words scratched out. I was unable to reconstruct them. Ralph and I, she proceeded, irrelevantly, have got Ham to agree to go to Buzzard's Bay, and we have taken a house near Wareham. Write and tell me that you forgive and pity me. I love you even more, such a thing as possible, than I have ever loved you. This is my only comfort and compensation, that I have had and have been able to feel such a love, and I know I shall always feel it. Nancy— the first effect of this letter was a paralyzing one i was unable to realize or believe the thing that had happened to me and i sat stupidly holding the sheet in my hand until i heard voices along the path and then i fled instinctively like an animal to hide my injury from any persons i might meet i wandered down the shore of the lake striking at length into the woods seeking some inviolable shelter nor was i conscious of physical effort until i found myself panting near the crest of the ridge where there was a pasture which some ancient glacier had strewn with great boulders beside one of these i sank heralded by the deep tones of bells Two steers appeared above the shoulder of a hill and stood staring at me with bovine curiosity, and fell to grazing again. A fleet of white clouds, like ships pressed with sail, hurried across the sky as though racing for some determined port, and the shadows they cast along the hillsides accentuated the high brightness of the day, emphasized the vivid and hateful beauty of the landscape my numbness began to be penetrated by shooting pains and i grasped little by little the fulness of my calamity until i was in the state of wild rebellion of one whom life for the first time has foiled in a supreme desire there was no fate about this thing it was just an absurd accident the operation of the laws of nature had sent a man to the ground another combination of circumstances would have killed him still another and he would have arisen unhurt but because of this particular combination my happiness was ruined and nancy's she had not expected me to understand well i didn't understand i had no pity in that hour i felt a resentment almost amounting to hate i could see only unreasoning superstition in the woman i wanted above everything in the world women of other days had indeed renounced great loves the thing was not unheard of but that this should happen in these times and to me it was unthinkable that nancy of all women shouldn't be emancipated from the thralls of religious inhibition and if it wasn't conscience what was it was it as she said weakness lack of courage to take life when it was offered her i was suddenly filled with the fever of composing arguments to change a decision that appeared to me to be the result of a monstrous caprice and delusion writing them out as they occurred to me in snatches on the backs of envelopes her envelopes then i proceeded to make the draft of a letter the effort required for composition easing me until the draft was finished when i started for the hotel climbing fences leaping streams making my way across rock faces and through woods halting now and then as some reinforcing argument occurred to me to write it into my draft at the proper place until the sheets were interlined and blurred and almost illegible It was already three o'clock when I reached my room, and the mail left at four. I began to copy and revise my scrawl, glancing from time to time at my watch, which I had lain on the table. Hurriedly washing my face and brushing my hair, I arrived downstairs, just as the stage was leaving. After the letter had gone, still other arguments I might have added began to occur to me, and I regretted that I had not softened some of the things I wrote, and made others more emphatic. In places argument had degenerated into abject entreaty. Never had my desire been so importunate as now, when it was in continual terror of losing her." nor could I see how I was to live without her, life lacking a motive being incomprehensible. Yet the fire of optimism in me, though died down to ashes, would not be extinguished. At moments it flared up into what almost amounted to a conviction that she could not resist my appeal. I had threatened to go to her, and more than once I started packing. Three days later, I received a brief note, in which she managed to convey to me, though tenderly and compassionately, that her decision was unalterable. If I came on she would refuse to see me. I took the afternoon stage and went back to the city, to plunge into affairs again, but for weeks my torture was so acute that it gives me pain to recall it, to dwell upon it today, and yet— amazing as it may seem there came a time when hope began to dawn again out of my despair perhaps my life had not been utterly shattered after all perhaps ham durrett would get well such things happened and nancy would no longer have an excuse for continuing to refuse me little by little my anger at what i had now become convinced was her weakness cooled and though paradoxically i had continued to love her in spite of the torture for which she was responsible in spite of the resentment i felt i melted toward her true to my habit of reliance on miracles i tried to reconcile myself to a period of waiting nevertheless i was faintly aware consequent upon, if not as a result of, this tremendous experience, of some change within me. It was not only that I felt at times a novel sense of uneasiness at being a prey to accidents, subject to ravages of feeling, the unity of mind that had hitherto enabled me to press forward, continuously toward a concrete goal, showed signs of breaking up. The goal had lost its desirability. I seemed oddly to be relapsing into the states of questioning that had characterized my earlier years. Perhaps it would be an exaggeration to say that I actually began to speculate on the possible existence of a realm where the soul might find a refuge from the buffetings of life, from which the philosophy of prosperity was powerless to save it. End of section 27